Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, um, first and foremost, I want to say good morning to our online community, those of you that are listening online, those of you that are watching on Facebook Live. Everyone say what's up to them. There you go, nice, wow. Um, Hey, I want to handle some business before we get into God's word. Uh, First and foremost, um, Easter's coming, and we have a team that we're resurrecting here at Clovis Hills. It it, it was here for a long time, and the team's kind of dissolved. Some of the core members of that team actually went to the gathering to help plant one of our churches, the gathering, and they're on that, they're doing, doing their thing now. But it's, it's our parking team at the church. And let me explain to you why we have a parking team. Some of you are like, why do we need a parking team? We have 43 acres of dirt. We could park wherever we want. We could put a billion cars on this place. I get that. But here's, here's what I want you to know. There is something magical about these hands, okay. These are healing hands. Because here's what I know. I talk to parking team members. I talk to our, our, our parking team leader, Ben, and he tells me all the time. He goes, I watch people drive on campus in the worst mood. I, I know what's going on on Willow. I see you guys cutting each other off and, sort of, you know, and you want to use uh, sign language on them and all that. You're coming in all angry. Um, people, some people are coming to church for the first time. They're nervous. They're like, what's going on? And when there's someone as you drive in that's like, hey, you can be like, Mickey hands, cool. This makes you feel welcome. So I went and I ordered in faith because I believe God that God is going to give me seven people that want to be parking attendants on Easter Sunday. I bought seven pairs of Mickey hands. And I'm going to preach this whole sermon with Mickey. I'm kidding. I'm not. <laughs> um, but I, and they're backwards. No, they are this way. So anyways, um, here's what I love you to do. If you want, if you're feeling the inkling to maybe be part of the parking team on Easter and possibly and maybe once a month or whenever you can do it, um, take your tear off and tear it off, <laughs> right? Draw, put your name on there and, and, and contact information and put parking team. And uh, some people will contact you, will get you plugged, plugged in, and it'll be rad. And we, we have a whole ceremony where we anoint you with thine Mickey hands. So... Anyways, I'm going to put them back there so you're not distracted. Um, this Tuesday night, other item of business. If you are new to Clovis Hills or you're new in your faith and you want to grow in your faith, okay, I want you, I'd love for you to be at it at the Connect 101 class. I'm teaching it. It's Tuesday nights. It's 6.30 in the lobby right here. It's an awesome class. You get to learn um, who Clovis Hills is, where we're going, what we believe, uh, you hear our story, but my favorite part of the, the class is in a church this big, I don't get to talk to everyone. But in that class, I get to hear you and your story and where God's brought you and where you're at. And the class is awesome because you get a, a gamut of people. You get some people that are like, well, this is the first church I've ever been to. I came last week for the first time ever. And then you get people that are like, I was born in the back row of a Baptist church and I've never left. So um, it runs a gamut and it's such a cool class. I encourage you to be there. And you can RSVP using the tear-off on your thing, or you could show up, but we'd like for you to RSVP. So, so capiche, are we capiching what I'm saying? Okay, so here's, here's the thing. We're talking about prayer today. And uh, we're going to read from James chapter 5. Um, 
starting at verse 13. And we're going we're gonna to get into to prayer, some of the basics of it, some of the, 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 the bigger picture stuff of it. And then I want us to get to the heart of prayer as well, too. So I would love it if you're able to, if you could stand in honor of God's word. As uh, my friend Olivia reads from the word of the Lord. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Now, uh, prayer, prayer can be a touchy subject because I know how it works. There's a, a, a whole group, a large group of Christians that you, uh, one of the more frightening things in your life is if someone were asked you to pray out loud in front of a group, right? You're like, oh, I don't know what to say. What if I say something wrong? As a matter of fact, in, in, in my house, um, you know, we, we pray every night over dinner. And it's just been a learned thing, how, how, how to pray. And that was kind of how um, we, we, we started praying together as a family. It's just praying over a meal. It's real simple. But uh, I've been in church long enough. I, I know how this prayer game works. Because I've also seen prayer in church. And... Um, I'll, I'll be honest, you ever heard someone pray and they weren't really talking to God, they were talking to you? There, there, was, there was no prayer going on, they were preaching a sermon at you. Or, you know, it's, I like to call it the passive-aggressive prayer. I've seen it in church before, right? It's like, dear God, I just want to lift up those that came late to church today. That you would forgive them, Lord, because their church clothes are the same clothes they wore to the club last night. God, I see. <laughs> Stupid Daniel. <laughs> I'd fire him, but he's a volunteer. Anyways, um, but Lord, <laughs> we just, we pray for them with their lights, their glow stick in their pocket, an X on their hand, right? You, you've seen the passive aggressive prayer. Or um, the gossip prayer, if you've heard that one. like, And, and God... I just want to pray for Tina right now because she's pregnant and no one knows about it. And she's going to need a lot of help because there could be like five or six fathers in her life. And we're not sure, so bless her, Lord. I mean, we, we do some terrible stuff to prayer because the truth of the matter is prayer is talking to God, the God of the universe. And Jesus in the scriptures told us when we were to talk to God, he said, when we go to God, we were to call him Father. And he didn't just use the word Father, he used the word Abba. Um, I was in a, a, a hotel in uh, Jerusalem, and in the Middle East they use that word a lot, Abba. And I'm at, I'm at the pool hanging out, and I see this little boy, and he comes up to his dad, and his dad's talking to someone, and he starts tugging on his dad's swimsuit going, Abba, Abba, Abba. Right? And the dad's like, uh, get away. Abba, Abba. Abba, get away. Abba, Abba. Okay. Picks him up, keeps talking. See, the way that little boy approached his father 
without fear, without anything, is how Jesus has told us to approach the Father. But isn't it funny, though, when you go to church and we, we, we turn on our prayer voice? Oh, God, we beseech thee that you would come down thine presence into this house of holiness and prayer right now. That we may go forth and do your will among the people. We suddenly get these prayer voices when we pray out loud. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Because how many of you at 16 years old would have asked your dad to borrow the car that way? Oh, Father, thou hast provided clothes for me, a roof over thine head, food for thine belly. I beseech thee, grant me the keys to the car that I might go forth and do your bidding in this world. No, you would not do that. And see, prayer was meant to be an intimate thing with God. Not something to be afraid of. So, according to James, and, and all of the New Testament writers talk about prayer, but we're going we're gonna to look at, at prayer and, and what James has to say about it. And number one in your outline, if you have your outline, go ahead and pull it out. Number one is this, is who are we to pray for, according to James, right? Who are we to pray for? Well, he, he says it. He says, is any one of you, among you, in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, so, so first and foremost, who are we to pray for? Well, uh, James says it right here. He says, is any of you in trouble? Then pray. You, it is okay to pray for yourself. You, you have to understand that. There's a whole segment of people that they're like, yeah, I'll say prayers for, for this, or I'll say prayers for this person, or, or, or for the, the babies in Africa, or, or, or whatever, for the whales, or whatever it is. But, you know, I, I don't like praying for myself, because I feel like that's selfish. And I, I want you to understand something. Um, we're, we're called to do that. And if you're a child of God, if you're one of God's children, you're supposed to go to your father and ask for things. There's nothing wrong with that. I think uh, some people that, that struggle with that, it's either a pride issue and they feel like, well, I got it, Lord. I got this. I'll, I'll call you for the big stuff. But here's the truth of the matter. Jesus talked about how, you know, when a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows that, he, he knows every bird that hits the ground. He clothes the fields with lilies and he, he knows all of them. He knows every hair on your head. He knows every detail of your life. Why would you not go to him with your needs, even the smallest ones? And, and the, the truth of the matter is, um, God already knows anyways. And you say, well, why do I need to go to God if he already knows? Here's the thing. God does already know. If you went to God with one of your problems, he wouldn't go, oh my gosh, really? He's not going to be shocked. He's going to say, I know. But really, when you go to God in prayer with your, with your trouble, what happens is you connect your heart to his. And you begin to learn what he has for you in the midst of that trouble. Sometimes it's, he's going to deliver you from it. And sometimes he's going to walk with you through it. And he's going to show you how to do that. So, so, so that's first. You pray for yourself. The other, the other issue I think sometimes is people um, have daddy issues when it comes to God. And they, they, they struggle because when I talk about a little boy pulling on his father's swimsuit saying, Abba, Abba, that was never a picture of a father for you. So when we call Father God, Father, 
It's hard for you to fathom that, and I, and I understand that, but here's what I want you to know. As you dive into the scriptures, and the more you pray, and the more you connect with God, you'll see what a real father looks like, and how he'll treat you. So then, the last one is, is some people just, their God is not big enough for them. Um, it, it's interesting to me. It's kind of like a new trend. People, like, you know, when you're on social media, they'll say, hey, um, if you're out there, put up some prayers and positive thoughts to the universe. And um, it's not to knock any people or anything like that, but I, I just want to let you in on, on, a, on a just kind of a truth. Um, the, the universe could care less about you. The universe will go on and on, and you are just a vapor. It, there, it's not a personal entity. Only God is a per personal entity. And the only way we can know God is through the person of Jesus Christ. So, so you have to understand that. Who else are we supposed to pray for? Well, it says it, it, says it really clear. It says we're to pray for others. Look, it says, um, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Let me pause there before we go any further in that verse. It says, let them sing songs of praise. I know this in church. I've been in church long enough. I know how the, 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 the worship game goes as well, too. So in every church on the planet, on every continent I've been on, it works this way. There's one-third of you in the room, you love singing in church. Like you're down. When the, the minute the song plays, you're like, let's go. This is my jam. It doesn't matter what song it is, right? How many of you are singing people? You like that, right? They're usually the, the expressive ones. I am. Okay, so, and I'm one of those. I, I, lo I love worship, okay? Um, that, that's, that's a huge thing to me. There's another third in the room, though, that you're like, yeah, I like to sing. It's all right. If it's good and if they can draw me in, yeah, I, I'll sing. And, and you'll sing if, if, if done right. And um, sometimes even the music might move you, right? The first group, though, some of you, like the moment the keys hit, they're like, ah! I, you know, I get it. So that's two-thirds of the room right there. So, so here's what I know is um, when the Spirit's moving and, and you guys come with a, a ready heart, two-thirds of the room is going to lift them up and sing. But then there's another third of the room, and I'm not guilting you at all because I just get it. It's how human beings are. You're the other third where you're like, ah, I'm not singing, Pastor. It's not happening. And, and, and I get that. And I want you to understand something. Um, you can worship God. You can worship like contemplating on the lyrics as well. Like you, you have to under, understand that. So when you see someone not singing, don't give them the, the look at me with my hands in the air. Here at Globo Church, we're better than you. But I do want to tell you this. I, I, do, I do believe this with my whole heart, that worship is warfare. And when the people of God, the Bible says it very clearly, that so the Son of Man be lifted up, that the world will be drawn to him. And the reason people come to Jesus is because we as a church, we lift him up in worship. We lift him up in prayer. We lift him up in obedience when we go outside these doors and obey him and be the church. And when the church sings... Something happens. Okay. This week I was at a pastor's conference. And um, I wasn't going to go to it because the guy that was the main teacher isn't really from kind of my stream of Christianity. He was, but I went anyways. And he was amazing. He was a, um, 
He pastors a church of God in Christ. Um, it's a Pentecostal church in Hayward. And, you know, he's very, um, very Pentecostal and, oh, yeah, kind of thing, you know, kind of deal. And I, I'm, I'm like a little white Baptist guy. I don't, I don't even kiss in tongues, let alone speak in tongues. And so I, I, I show up at this thing. And I'm be honest, I was blessed by it because this guy... He was preaching, and the crowd was like, well, you know, they're going for it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I started doing it. And one of the cool, coolest things is um, if you, they helped me at 9 o'clock, it was really nice, is my, my favorite thing they do is they just say, come on. Whenever they heard something they, they liked, they went, come on. You know, so it, feel free to humor me today. But um, he, was, he was talking about our worship. And he goes, not only are you lifting Jesus up, but when you worship, you're sending the devil a message. Oh, yeah. Just took a little coaxing, huh? You're sending the devil a message of his destiny. And then, then he said, clap your hands. And then like a bunch of suburban, suburbanites, we went, oh. He said, that's not clapping your hands. I want you to clap like the devil's head's in between your hands. Come on. And we all started clapping. He goes. <laughs> okay, Dan, you got to stop, man, or I'm going to lose myself. Okay. We get the tech team new toys, and they mess with me. So anyways, he starts clapping, and, and, and I want you to know this. When we even cheer in church, when we have joy in church, when we laugh in church, we are sending the devil a message about his destiny. That his destiny, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, never, I don't know now. It's your fault, Daniel. <laughs> Can't fire a volunteer, though. So um, <laughs> we are. We're sending him a message that, that that's his destiny. And ours has been sealed as well. So, so I, I want you to know that when we worship, it's warfare. And you are pushing back the gates of hell. You are lifting the Son of Man up so those that don't know him can see him. And maybe you're part of that middle third that is, eh. And maybe you take that step and you, you lift him a little higher. And maybe you're the third that doesn't sing. And maybe every now and then you take a little step of faith and you just sing. You'd be shocked what happens when the church comes together. So, who else? We're also supposed to pray for others. It says, Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of Jesus. So, we're supposed to pray for others. And, and here's the deal this is part, part of the reason, um, you know, when James wrote this, the churches back then, they all met in homes. They were all little growth groups, is really what was going on. And this is why it's so important, I believe, for, for us to be in growth groups. It is incredibly important that we come together corporately and we worship. But it's also incredibly important that you have a group of people that know you and you know them. That they can pray for you and you can pray for them. Because there will be times in your life where you need other people to pray for you. Where your faith isn't strong enough that you can pray for yourself. That you need them to lift you up in the Lord. And they're going to need you sometimes too. And, and this is why we have our growth groups. And our growth groups all pray for each other. They, they work that way and there's power in that. So I encourage you, get in a growth group. 
It, it, it's, it's, it's something that as you continue to do it later on in your life, you'll be like, how did I ever live without these people? So I want to talk to you, though, about the, the elders praying over a sick person with oil. I remember the first time I ever um, did a hospital visit as a pastor. I was a young youth pastor, and my senior pastor at the time, Dan, he, uh, he said, come on, you're going to do a hospital visit with me. I'm going to show you how to do this. And I was like, okay. So we get to the hospital, and he, he's like, oh, we're going to anoint him with oil, too. And I was like, oh, cool. So he, he has this little vat, right? And he goes, oh, I'm out. Hold on. So he runs back to his car, and he's got like a Safeway bag, like, an Alf- like a Safeway or Vons or somewhere. And he pulls out of it like this just lame little thing of olive oil he bought at Vons. And he's like, hold on. And he pours it in. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. You mean to tell me you just use like Wesson to anoint people in the Lord? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's just olive oil. Who cares? And I was like, doesn't it need to be like some special magical oil that comes from a talking tree somewhere in Israel? And it, like, what's going on here? And he was like, no. He goes, listen, in the Bible, they said to anoint with oil. They didn't say what kind. It doesn't matter. You just do it. Um, I have right here, this is actually, they call it Cedars of Lebanon Healing and Anointing Oil. I want you to know something. This oil will heal no one. God heals people. You have to understand that. And that was what my pastor Dan was trying to teach me. He was just being obedient to the scripture that we were to do it. And here's why James put it in there. Because during James's time, when James wrote the, 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 this uh, epistle... Oil was used for medicinal purposes. If you remember the story in Luke of the Good Samaritan, this man is left beaten, left for dead. A Samaritan comes, finds him, cares for him, takes him to an inn, and he pays the innkeeper. He says, take care of this man. Here's some money to do that. Get some olive oil and pour it in his wounds. Right? That was what they did back then. That, they didn't have antibiotics. They used oil. And all my essential oils ladies went, hallelujah, come on. They'll sell you some later, trust me. So here's the deal. (laughs) Sorry. We have pre-filled complaint cards in the back. You can just drop them in the offering. But it was used for medicinal purposes. And and here's really what James is trying trying to tell us. Is that when we pray and we are sick, it's okay to go to the doctor and use medicine. As a matter of fact, it's prescribed. That's why he said use oil. Okay, it's prescribed. Because God may use the doctor to heal you. He may miraculously heal you. He may not heal you at all. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, Pastor Moses and I were praying over someone last night who needed healing. And uh, Moises was reminding us, right, that the Apostle Paul, he said, he, he prayed to God because he had something that they, they called, uh, he, he said was a thorn in his flesh. And uh, most theologians think it was some kind of sickness that he had. And he prayed to God three times, Lord, please take it from me. And he said, but the Lord didn't. And he was teaching me that his grace is sufficient in the midst of my pain. And God was teaching him something through that. So God may use the doctors to heal you. He may miraculously heal you. He may not heal you, but he may do something through your sickness as well. He may teach you something. And I want you to know something. Never, and there's a group of well-meaning Christians that will tell you, oh, you didn't have enough faith. You don't need to go to a doctor. They're well-meaning, but they're wrong. That it was never the intent of the writers of Scripture. It was never intent of the Holy Spirit or, or God in, this, in the Scriptures. 
And the, the truth of the matter is, we have doctors in this room, and I am really grateful we have doctors in this room because there have been occasions in this building where someone died and a doctor brought them back to life in here, okay? So thank you, doc, nurses, EMTs. I'm a doctor, but I only save souls. So I can't prescribe anything but God's word. So here's the deal. I've, I've also seen God miraculously heal people. It, it, more often than not, he has not, but I have. I remember as a, as a young church planner, early on in our church, we only had about 40 people in our church, so it was really easy. Everyone knew each other, and when someone got sick, it, was, it got out to everyone, and we all heard. And um, I remember I got a call at like 2 in the morning, and it was, hey, uh, Grandma Joyce had a stroke. She's hanging on to her life by a thread. And uh, Joyce was in her early 80s, and she, she, um, was our, she ran our, our little preschool class on Sunday mornings. And so I got out of bed right away, drove down to the hospital. She had no family in town. It was just her. The church was her family, really. And um, just sat by her bed and prayed over her and prayed all night and just kind of hung out all night. And she was hanging on by a thread. looked like she was going to die. And um, that morning, another church member came and said, hey, I'll take over. You go home and sleep. Um, I'll sit with her, and they sat with her, and I went home, and I slept, and I got a phone call around 9 in the morning, and they're like, hey, um, something weird happened. She just woke up, and she's totally fine. Exactly. That's what I did, and it's like I got in my car, and I drove down there, and she's like, yeah, well, I don't know what happened last night. It was really, really weird, and the doctors went, oh, we must have misdiagnosed it. She had a seizure or something. No. The truth of the matter is God healed her. And he can do that. But I need you to understand something. God may heal you. He may. I mean, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, right? Amen. He can do that. You know what happened to Lazarus, though? He died. He got sick and died. So, so I, I need you to understand something. When God does it, it's for his glory. When he does it through, through the doctors, through medicine, it's for his glory. When he does it, doesn't do it, it can be for his glory. He's given you the choice who will get the glory. So, that leads me to number two, the prayer of faith. We need to talk about that because that's kind of an important little phrase in um, this passage. If you look at verse 15... And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. And the prayer offered in faith, in other translations it says, the prayer of faith will make a sick person well, and the Lord will raise, raise them up. So I, I want to talk to you about that, that phrase, the prayer of faith. Because um, I, I think that phrase gets abused sometimes when it comes to, to how, how we do things. And what many people think that means is that, like, I've got to have no doubts whatsoever. I can't doubt, and I've got to, I've got to lather myself up into this confidence, and oh, come on, come on, and, 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 you know, and not speak anything negative, and it must be positive. And I've known people that had really good intentions, and they've gone to other people that maybe were, you know, dying of, 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 a, of a terminal disease and said, God's going to heal you. And they were trying to have faith. And the tr proof of the mat matter is that person still died 
regardless of that person's faith. And here's what I want you to know. That is not at all what James was talking about whatsoever. What James was talking about when he, when he says the prayer of faith, because faith isn't, you, one, the Bible is really clear that you don't muster up faith on your own. That faith is actually a gift from God. You're saved by your faith, which is a gift, it says in Ephesians 2.9. Faith is a gift. So you can't, I'm going to believe more. It doesn't work that way. As a matter of fact, Jesus even said, listen, to move a mountain, you don't need a lot of faith. You just need faith the size of a mustard seed. Itty bitty faith. So some of you, you walk through these doors today and you only have an itty bitty amount of faith. And I, and I want you to know something. That's all you need. That's all you need to be used by God. Even if you got a glow stick in your pocket and an X on your hand and you're wearing those passive aggressive prayers, right? God, we pray for those that wore flip flops to church. Because we know, Lord Jesus, only you wear flip flops. <laughs> so here's the deal. If you want to know what the prayer of faith looks like, it doesn't start with this great magnanimous, like, emotional thing you've worked up in yourself to believe. You don't have to shout at diseases. You don't have to do any of those things. Um, but Mark, in his gospel, gives us a great example of what it looks like. There's a man, and his, his son is demon-possessed. And he's, he's hurting himself. He's throwing himself in the fire. He's throwing himself, trying to drown himself. And um, that's real stuff. And I, I, I've, I've come across things like that. Um, my, my, I've told you a story of my friend's girlfriend that we were pretty sure was demon-possessed. And on multiple occasions, they'd just be driving. She'd open the door of the car and jump out. Crazy. Like, imagine that on a date. <laughs> okay, but anyways, I, I'm not going to get sidetracked. So... It, this, this father comes to him, and look what it says in Mark 22 through 24. It says, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can't, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. See, here's what the, the boy's father was saying. is like, I, I, I believe, kind of, I believe you can, but will you? And see, the prayer of faith is coming to God with whatever faith you have and saying, this is what I have. Would you give me more? Would you give me more? And some of you, maybe that's your prayer today. You come today and you have all kinds of doubts about God and about Jesus. And is he really who he said he was? And is he really who the Bible said he was? And I want you to know this is a, a safe place for you to come to church and, and have those. And maybe your prayer today is, I believe you, but help me with my unbelief, Lord. So, there. There, there's something that happens, though, when um, life gets really hard. I was talking to a, a gentleman at, after the 9 o'clock service. He's an older gentleman, and he said, you know, I, um, 
I, I went to church on and off my whole life, but I never really put my faith in Jesus. I never put my faith in the gospel. It was just kind of a eh, kind of thing in my life. And you go, it wasn't until I was really old and I got really sick and I came into contact with my own mortality that I started coming back to church. I started coming here two years ago and I gave my life to Christ and it's made an incredible difference. He goes, my biggest regret is I waited my whole life to do it. He goes, to be honest, I feel like I wasted most of my life. I could have had so much more of what God had for me. And um, he, he, he said, he goes, you know, it, it almost felt like I, I needed this crisis to surrender to God. And see, there's a, a, there's a psychi- psychologist, a researcher and psychologist, his name's Dr. Jamie Ayton. And um, he studies people going through massive crises in their life. That's his research that he does and, and how they respond. And why, why is it some people that go through something incredibly terrible are resilient and why it just destroys others, right? Um, and and that, that's fascinating to me too. But um, he actually was a researcher in it and then he ended up getting stage four colon cancer and the cancer had spread all throughout his pelvis as well. So um, it, it didn't look good for him. And I want to read you, it's just an article I read in Christianity Today a while back. I want to read you ju- just a little bit about what he says about this. He says, for this first six months... Whenever I asked for a prognosis, all my oncologist would say was, I can't tell you it's going to be okay. Jamie, it's too early to tell. If there's anyone you want to see or anything you want to do, now's the time. How's that for encouraging? Cancer wasn't the first disaster I faced. My family and I had moved to South Mississippi six days before Hurricane Katrina. How's that for timing? But this disaster was different. There was no opportunity to evacuate as I did before Katrina made landfall. This time, the disaster was striking within, and I was a walking disaster. And see, um, he learned in his research that um, traumatic situations, people that were resilient, the most resilient people in a traumatic situation were people that um, did this thing called spiritual surrender. And and look what he says. He says, spiritual surrender helps us understand what we have control over and what we don't. In a research study I led after Katrina, we found that people who showed higher levels of spiritual surrender tended to do better. This finding didn't make sense to me at the time. It seemed like a passive faith response. Oh, your will be done, whatever, Lord. Fast forward to my cancer disaster. I vividly remember taking out the trash at the curb one winter morning while praying that God would heal me. The freezing air felt like tiny razor blades cutting across my hands and feet because of the nerve sensitivity caused by chemotherapy. Wondering if God even heard my prayers for healing, I kept praying as I walked back inside my home. Then all of a sudden, I dropped to my knees And I prayed the most challenging prayer of my life. Instead of continuing to pray for God's healing, I asked that God would take care of my wife and my children if I didn't make it. This was the hardest prayer I ever prayed. For the first time in my life, I truly experienced spiritual surrender. I finally understood true, I finally understood true spiritual surrender is far from passive. It's a willful act of obedience. 
See, when the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? He gave them the Lord's Prayer, right? And those of you that grew up in church, you know it. Our Father in heaven, how would be thy name? Yeah, and you say it in your British voice. Like, kingdom come, my will be done. No. Thy will be done, right? So we pray that, and we're like, thy will be done, Lord, sort of. If it coincides with mine, I'm good with your will. And that, the truth of the matter, that's most of us when, when, when we're praying. We're praying for our will, not God's. Um, and the beauty of prayer is God is, when, the more you pray, the more you align your heart to God and the more you're able to understand God's will and live in God's will and realize that God's will is better than your will. And Jesus models it, right? He told us to pray that way. But do you know, um, the night he was arrested, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew he was going to be arrested and beaten. He knew all of that was going to go down. And do you know, one of his last prayers in the Bible, he cried out to God and he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there is another way, please take this cup from me. And here's what he was saying is, God, I know what's coming. I know what your will is. And if you got a plan B, I would be really excited to do that one right now because this one looks bad. But do you know what the last words he said before he finished praying? He said, I want plan B, Lord. I don't want plan A. I know it's going to be bad, but your will be done. He was saying, I trust you, Daddy. I trust you. See, that's the prayer of surrender. And it's the most dangerous prayer you could ever pray. Okay, God, whatever you have for me. See, for most human beings on this planet, including myself, it's, I love myself and I have a wonderful plan for my life. But here's good news. God loves you even more. And his plan for your life, his destiny for your life is so much greater than what you could ever chase down on your own. But you have to come to that place of surrender where you say, okay, Lord, I want what you want for me. And that is the most dangerous prayer ever. Because God, when you pray that prayer, God will begin to do things in your life throughout the span of your life. That one will rock you in ways you could never imagine, but it'll also frighten you. I remember I was, I was speaking with a woman, and um, she, she was contemplating whether or not she was going to become a Christian or not. And she'd been coming to church for a while. And um, it, was, it was really interesting because she said, you know, this, this gospel thing you talk about, like, I don't know if I've ever heard it put this way, but it actually, it, it, Sean, it scares the hell out of me. And I said, well, what do you mean? It's like, it's good news, right? Like that God offers grace to you. He wants to forgive you of your sins. And there's nothing you could do to earn it. He just wants to give it to you. That sounds like good news, right? Because I'm not really good at earning it. You know, and she, she had a totally different outlook on life. And she said, listen, Sean, I have spent my whole life, I've followed the rules. I've been a very kind person. I've been a very good person. I've been a very moral person. I even go to church. I do all the right things. I am a good person. And what you're saying is, is that even in all my good deeds, there's a selfish, sinful motive there. And that, that, that 
I have to receive God's free grace. Because the, the Bible, she was right. The Bible is very true. Do you know what it says about um, all of my righteousness? It says in Isaiah that, that our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to God's. Right? And nowadays when we hear that word, our righteousness is like filthy rags, you all have an image. You think of the things you wash your car with. Okay? But I need you to understand something. They didn't have cars back then. They didn't have a bucket with filthy rags in it. Filthy rags back then were the things you washed your naughty parts with. This is what our righteousness looks like compared to God's. And all the junior hires in the room snickered. So, And she said, listen, if I, when I was living my life right and I was doing all the right things and I was, I was I'm, I'm kind, I'm loving, I follow the rules, I obey, I do all those things. There was a limit for what God could ask on my life because it was a transaction. I've done this much for you, so you can only ask this much of me. And that was fair. But what you're saying is if grace is free and it's all, you just have to surrender to Jesus, that he could ask anything of me because that's what I owe to him. And I said, exactly. And she says, I don't know if I can do that. See, The worst part is she was missing out on who God could make her. So I want I wanna I just want to give you a a couple practical things you can do prayer-wise. So you can walk away with like something you could do if you don't like if you're not a prayer. So um you might have noticed I have like ADHD a little bit. High definition, don't worry. But, but, but here, here's the thing. Um, praying, especially initially, was really hard for me. And, and probably you too, because it feels like there's monkeys jumping around in your head. Every time you like slow down and try and pray, you're, you know, it's just, it's, there's too much to think about, right? And I remember I'd sit down to pray and I'd be, Father God, thank you for today. Burritos are awesome. Dude, I could go to our sitios right now. I wonder who the Chargers are going to draft in April. Oh, and God, I'm sorry. Um, Father, I pray for today, and I never noticed the floor was that color. Wow. So I had to learn, right? I had to learn to, to still myself, and it start, started with this real simple things. And what, what I learned is I started writing anything I was thankful for, and I'd just write it on paper. And then I'd say, Lord, this is yours. And then I would say, uh, you know, I started taking walks. I realized when I walked and I prayed, I could pay attention longer. And soon I was praying further. I was walking and praying. Um, matter of fact, you know, I, we're trying to build a preschool here at the church, and we're having trouble with some of the municipalities here, uh, with the county, the cities, and, and, and all that. And it, it's really blocked our plans right now. We're tr- trying to push through it. And uh, yesterday, Saturday night before church, I said, I'm just going to go on a prayer walk. I'm going to walk this whole stinking property. I'm going to pray for God's blessing on it, and I'm going to anoint it with oil. And I went and I bought like the best bottle of olive oil from Enzo's table there was. I didn't know they made olive oil that expensive. Sorry, honey. Um, and I did. I, I was walking the campus, and I'm praying. And the other thing I learned is if I pray out loud, I mean, I can even focus even more. So here's me walking around the campus yesterday afternoon, praying out loud, talking to God, just having a conversation with God. People driving by, honking at me, going, oh, there's Pastor Sean talking to himself with a bottle of wine in his hand. 
Must have been a rough week. But, but sometimes it's praying out loud. Sometimes going on a walk. Sometimes it's praying with other people. Sometimes it's just having a list of things to pray for so you can just go through the list and you don't get sidetracked. Some of you, God, you don't even know how to pray yet, and God is prompting you right now to join our prayer team. And here's what I want you to do. Take your tear off, write prayer team, and put your info on it, and drop it in the offering later today, and see what God does with you. We'll, we'll teach you to pray. Some of you, I don't know if you know this, probably the, one of the reasons we've seen over 700 first-time decisions for Christ in the last 14 months is because every Tuesday morning at 5.45 a.m., there's a group of 10 to 15 men in the back of this church praying for all of you guys. There's people on Sunday mornings praying for you guys. There's some of you, maybe God's called you to be part of the prayer team where you just pray over the hundreds of prayer requests that get submitted every week, whether it's through the app or through the card. And all the introverts went, that's my ministry. I could stay home and not talk to anyone, just God, I'm good. Do it. But there's a... A last point, and I, I, they're playing the wrap it up music, but I'm just going to keep going. So here's the deal. I know you're getting hungry, but I'll get to it. The last one is the prayer of the righteous, because I need you to understand this. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And here's what I want you to know. There's something really powerful about confessing your sins. And I'm not going to make you turn to your neighbor right now and confess your deepest, darkest sin to one another. That would be for an awkward church service, and most of you wouldn't come back next week. So, but what I want you to do is you, you need to breathe in the Spirit. But in order to do that, in order to breathe in fresh air, you got to exhale the bad air, right? So you, you have to take time in your day and just confess your sins. I do it all the time. I do it this morning I did. This morning I just said, Lord God, I know... I sin all the time, not even when I'm thinking about it, Father. And I know specifically, Lord, I've had lustful thoughts. I've had selfish ambition. I've had this. I've had that. And I just lay it at your feet. Thank you for forgiving me. Fill me with your spirit. That simple prayer. And it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I need you to know this. This is the most important part of this message, guys, is that our sin, if you, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says this, that our sin has separated us from God. That we can't have a relationship with God. I can't call him Abba. He, he doesn't call me son unless I, my sin is taken care of. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, separation, eternal separation from God. And the Bible says this, but the gift of God is eternal life through, the, through Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and the book of John says it very clearly. But as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given the right to become children of God. That when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, suddenly you're adopted into his family, and you're like the little boy or the little girl that tugs on Abba's swimsuit to pick him up. And before, if you've never done that, you're separated and that's why your prayers feel like you're shooting BBs at a battleship. It feels like they're hitting the ceiling. But today's the day that God has called you, that you could have a relationship with God. March 18th, he called you by name and said, today's the day you receive me. You become my child. 
And you can do that today. All you have to do is ask. The Bible says, asking you'll receive, seeking you will knock, or knock and the door will be open to you. Jesus said in, in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door, the door of your heart. And he says, I, I knock and if you open the door, I will come in. Today's your day. Don't put it off. Don't be like the, the guy I talked to at nine o'clock that put it off his whole life and he regretted it. It doesn't matter what age you are, whether you're 10 or you're 90, don't put it off another day. Receive Jesus. I'm gonna lead you right now in prayer. Let's just bow our heads and be in the presence of God right now. And I want you to just come to him, wherever you're at.